Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the show. Um, It's with a heavy heart that we open tonight's show discussing what happened over the weekend in Colorado Springs. And yes, there was another mass shooting at an LGBTQIA nightclub. And this is heartbreaking for all of us, the community especially, because these events, sadly, are not unfamiliar. And they are happening more and more. And this is born out of a lot of the political polarization that's occurring right now in, in our country and in our culture. Uh, the stats are showing us that it's about 20% that have an actual mental illness. So mass shooters are generally 80% or so just radicalized individuals. And that's happening as a result of a lot of the political propaganda. And that's why I, I guess I wanted to talk first on a macro level that we all need to really step into politics and individuals are feeling helpless. They're even feeling hopeless politically just in and of itself, but also with these microcosmic events that are occurring under that umbrella and as a result of that. So we do need to support those around us and make sure everyone's voting because there's a trickle down effect. I, I will talk about the individual um, micro level impacts that trauma like this has on us because that's very important. But I wanna just first talk on a larger scale that we all need to get involved. If these were individual mental health issues, then the answer would just be we have to make you know healthcare more accessible, but, but that's not the case. And so it is politically driven. And so we do wanna recognize that. Uh, I wanna just mention a quote that's from a psychiatry today. It says that mass shooters are often terrorists Uh, Being radicalized or motivated by specific ideologies, not usually people suffering from mental illness. Um, And I kind of referenced some of those really important, valuable stats early. So please do step up. Please do get involved and please talk to those around you. (sighs) I get tired of talking about these things because this is not what we should be focusing on. Um, So what I want to remind everyone is that whether or not you are individually impacted by this, what I mean by that is uh, having had a family member or friend that's been harmed or killed in a mass shooting you still are going to have effects as a result of this. And the term I'm using right now is vicarious traumatization. And that that big term basically means that we're impacted by everything that we experience, even if it's indirect. Just merely hearing about witnessing, watching the news, replaying videos, watching interviews, that is going to be stored in your body and also in your psyche. And we need to take that seriously because our mental health is a result of everything that's happening around us, the meaning we're making out of it, the interpretation, but also just the experience. And it's really hard for us to get a lot of time away from this. It's one thing to be not directly around stressors because maybe there's been a lull in events like this, whether it's politics or mass shootings, 
but that doesn't mean that that stress is out of our bodies. We need a lot of time away and there are some specific things we can do to try to get our bodies to a anchored and regulated state. So what am I, what am I saying? I'm saying for those that are at home, far, far away from where this occurred, please still take mental health considerations around this. Um, so what does that mean? Well, the first thing I say, and I know that this can sound like a really cliche, uh, a really big cliche is that we need to first focus on self-care because when difficult or traumatic events are happening in the world or around us, we do need to be making sure that we're taking time away from them and focusing on a little bit of joy, rest, and pleasure. And I know I talk about that all the time on the show, so I don't have to go that deeply into it, but more now more than ever, we need to be making sure we're doing that. And so one of the things I'm prescribing to everyone is do focus on what's going on directly in your life. Second piece I want to remind everyone is that we do need to take time away from immersing ourselves in discussions or news reporting on this because we need to, again, take our bodies out of a constant stress state. So we need time away from that because stress, anxiety, and fear are going to be the key outcomes as a result of seeing this. So of course it's important to stay informed. I want people to know what's going on around them, but the portrayal and reporting of these things can cause acute or post-traumatic stress symptoms. So we do want to limit and take a break. You should not be spending your entire day viewing or discussing this. And then remember as a community that we're all impacted by this. And so we want to pay attention to ours and also the emotional health of those around us. I know after having just seen the reporting of this on the news, I was a little edgy. I was a little snappy. And so I said to myself, all right, that was really intense. And I'm now going to have to be very loving with myself and those around me because we're all going to have a lot of different emotional reactions because this is something that the people that I'm close to want to talk about. They want to process. So it circles back to what I said earlier about the self-care and the exposure where I want to be available and accessible to that. We do want to be able to process, but I also have to give myself some time away. And so I'm not necessarily letting this be a topic that's dominating all of my time, all of my thinking or all of my conversations. Um, and then that segues into the next piece, which is look out for those around you. Uh, I think it's easy for us to get very self-centering. <laughs> That's the kind word I use versus self-centered, where we get very self-centering and we really only think about how we feel and the impact things are having on us. But again, remember that other individuals might know these individuals or they might, um, I don't know, have been in situations where this is something that might've been more or less possible. I don't tend to socialize in these spaces, but for those that do or have actually been to these clubs where these events have occurred, they're gonna have a very different experience of that. I am blessed in that I'm many people removed from anyone that was ever involved in these mass shootings, but that's not true for everyone. So we wanna be, we wanna be available to those around us that need us. Um, all right, we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk a little bit more about the mental, health, the mental health impacts of mass shootings and what we can do to take care of ourselves and those we love. So stick around for that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Call from mom, answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, everyone, we're back and... Um doing a little bit of a segment discussion on mass shooting that occurred over the weekend at an LGBTQIA nightclub. And this is heartbreaking. These events keep happening across the country to various communities. The LGBTQIA community is one that is heinously targeted consistently politically, uh, culturally, and even within the family. And so I will be talking down the road about how to really deal with holiday times as a result of some of the prejudice and bigotry that people will be dealing with within the community. But I wanted to talk specifically about this. So in the earlier segment, I was discussing how mental health plays a small role in the mass shootings. And the stats tell us that only about 20% had mental health issues. Otherwise, it's um, radicalism and political ideologically driven. And so that's why I want everyone to really take a political stance and get involved in that, you know, in, in trying to kind of change that tide. Um, another important stat to share is that about 95% of people exposed to mass shootings experience symptoms, uh, post-traumatic stress in the days after the events. And some of these show up weeks or months afterwards. So I'm telling people to think on a smaller level, think about how this might be impacting you today, think about how it might be impacting you throughout the week. I was sharing a quick story about how I felt it in my body after just watching the news event and how I was feeling a little cranky and I was feeling a little down. So I'm advocating that people check in with themselves and check in with those around them and say like, hey, how you doing? Tough times, you know, do you wanna talk about it? Because sometimes that's what we need to do, we need to connect. We know that those that have access to social support, that reduces the impact and also for many prevents any forms of PTSD. So the sooner we can connect with loved ones, the better it will be for us to process, to anchor, to not feel alone. It has a holistic effect. Also, I want us to be, like I said, there for others. We're also, though, taking time outside of this. I'm a big fan of us paying attention to the exposure we have to these trigger points. We don't want to be spending our entire day in a stress state because stress, anxiety, and depression are going to be outcomes of sitting within these stories. We, we internalize them into our bodies and into our psyches. So I'm telling people that whole cliche, we do need some self-care. I want people to carve out time for distraction, jo jo um, fun, joy, pleasure. Um, what else do I want people to think about? Because this is one of those times when we're most stressed where it's really hard for us to take care of ourselves. And that's when we need to just go right to the uh, stats and the facts. Um, okay, so something else is that hopelessness and powerlessness is something I'm hearing a lot of people talk about. We watch these things happen maybe in our own state or our own city, or also sometimes from across the country. And people are like, I wanna get involved, what can I do? Well, there's a lot you can do. And again, like I was saying, we need to get politically involved. We need to dismantle homophobia and transphobia. So there's always those larger structural um, institutional changes that are needed, but also on the local level. Um, write letters to your uh, representatives in support of all the things we can do to kind of resolve this, which is keeping students safe. Like, let's not forget that a lot of mass shootings happen at schools. Um, getting gun laws passed. 
things like that have a beneficial effect because remember events like this have so many threads woven into it access to firearms like i said the radical ideology the homophobia there's a reason why these specific communities are the ones that are targeted um, but I also want to talk about those that don't feel like this is something that's going to kind of dissipate over the course of a couple of days or weeks. So what do we need to look for to know if we need a little bit more support? And that means some mental health services. And that would be if it feels too intense, if the feelings as a result of this are lasting longer than just two weeks, if things are getting worse and not getting better. If you're not feeling as though you can return, return to or participate in what we call your ADLs, your activities of daily living, the basic normal activities, if you feel unsafe, because remember, the effects of this aren't always immediate. Sometimes they occur later and down the road. And I was talking about this concept of vicarious traumatization, which is a big word that basically just means it doesn't have to happen to you or even to someone you know to have some mental health impacts as a result of it. I talk to my interns about that, that sitting, doing therapy, you are, your nervous system is having all this material blow through it. It is not neutral. Um, there's an impact to that. And so we want to just consider that. But as a community, everyone needs to just kind of come together and connect and process this. Um, unfortunately, there's sadly more of this coming. This doesn't come as a shock to a lot of us. So check in with yourselves throughout the day saying, how's this impacting me? What might I need? Like I said, social relationships are gonna be what are going to be our best bet to prevent any longer term negative outcomes as a result of this in terms of our mental health. Um, and also just pay attention to what you're doing with your time. Are you constantly keeping your body in a stress state by being exposed or within the conversations around this? We have to take care of ourselves. And what's really hard is that there's no global solution because these are events that are bigger than what we have the internal capacities to deal with. We are not built to deal with these global events. Um, we don't have the internal resources. And so sadly, I feel bad sometimes telling people that we do the best we can to get through them. Luckily, social relationships tend to be a powerful, powerful preventative and curative factor and also decreases the severity of the impact, but it's not always perfect. And so when these events occur, I feel so bad for everyone because there isn't this one global magic cure that I can offer. Um, but I want everyone to get into action because that's how we really push through feeling helpless. And that's how I feel when events like this occur. I feel helpless and I feel as though I want to do whatever I can do. I, I can do this show where I can offer some thoughts and some resources, but I realize that it's bigger than that and that there's some systemic and institutional changes that are needed as, as well. So take action on grassroots levels, on uh, macro levels. It doesn't matter, but but do something. And that's why I'm a fan when I see people writing letters, running for office, voting, uh, boycotting, uh, protesting, using your social media to put a spotlight on this, using your social media to educate, to offer resources, because we need to feel like we can be a part of that change. Otherwise, that helplessness persists. And that's really toxic for our mental health. So we're all in this together, y'all. Um, Sadly, there'll be more of this coming down the road, but I will, I will try to check back in on this uh, so that we don't feel alone. So um, do stay close, do stay connected and check in on those around you. And my heart goes out to those that are directly and indirectly impacted by this. Um, so we're gonna come back and we're gonna switch gears a little bit. I do that with respect. Of course, um, we won't be doing any DMs tonight, uh, but they'll be back in the rest of the shows. But if you have a DM for us or a question, drop it the DMs on our Loveland IG page. Past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. Otherwise, y'all, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. 
Got a great show planned for you. I love when we can talk about some interesting topics. Things are a little bit off the beaten path. Um, this one I thought was fascinating. Just to kind of ground the topic, we're talking about some um, unexpected, strange, creative, diverse, maybe even taboo things that historically we uh, kind of shame, pathologize, or stigmatize, but they actually might be good for you and your relationship. I love stuff like this, kind of flips normality on its head. And as I say all the time, uh, a lot of health lives outside the lines of normality. Normality is all about regulating, assimilation, conformity, and um, sometimes the beauty exists outside of that. So just to ground it all, relationality is what it's all about. Our brains, uh, our nervous systems, our psyches, everything is relationally driven. Relationships are where our mental health exists and where it lies. I tell people, oh, I want to understand what you need to work on. Look at who you are and all the different relationships you're a part of. Want to understand someone's mental health. Look at what goes on in the relationships that they're a part of. It's a really good assessment tool. It's a really good site for us to quote unquote, do our work. So when I find these um, different pieces of research and articles, I'm like, ah, I like this. So some of these are a little edgy. Some of them are controversial. And for some people, they're going to be like, what are y'all talking about? We do that five times a day. Nothing strange in that one. Um, and again, remember, the goal is not to perform the, the marriage or your relationship in the way that everyone else is doing it because that's not going to be right for everyone. And we definitely have these scripts that we are socialized that are socialized into us and that we are socialized into that make us think that there are certain uh, steps or structures that have to exist for you to be both an adult and also good in a relationship. And the problem with that is what might be good for or what might work for others might not be good or what would work best for you. And sometimes in order to keep a relationship they want to be a part of, you got to think alternatively. There's no right or wrong way to do a relationship. It's what do you need? This comes up in all sorts of different ways. Um, how people are going to raise their kids, um, whether or not they're going to maybe take someone's last name or maybe the wife saying, I want you to take my last name or I don't want to take your last name if this is a hetero couple, um, whether or not people are monogamous. I mean, there's so many different threads to this. So again, we're talking about some of these alternative things that maybe might be uh, good for you. So I love this one and it kind of ties into another one that was in the news a couple years ago. Um, for those that are longtime listeners, do you remember when I was talking a lot about um, together while apart? And it was this whole concept of not necessarily living with your primary partner and everyone's like, what? what, you married or in a long-term committed relationship and you don't live together? Yeah. And there's a couple celebrities um, that really put that on the map and kind of got some articles written about it and they were saying, hey, we don't always cohabitate. Now, for those of you that are in long distance relationships, you understand that, but that's not necessarily chosen. Most people in long distance relationships don't prefer that. However, some relationships thrive because of the distance. And that becomes the complicating factor. I remind people when they say maybe something like, oh, I get along really well with this friend of mine and I wonder if we were to date or be in a romantic relationship. Well, of course that would be better. And I say, no, not necessarily. Just because something works long distance or just because a friendship works, it might be because of the structure and the label that in fact allow it to exist or be good. When you change that, you change that. And we don't necessarily know then what we get. Okay, really bizarre example. You go to some higher end restaurants 
where there's an executive chef who has curated an amazing menu and each dish has a flavor profile where each little piece is a necessary part of it. And some of these higher end restaurants will say, we don't do substitutions. The meals are prepared the way they're meant to be eaten. And we don't want to change anything about that because then you're creating a different dish that we don't necessarily put our name behind. And we're just not open to that. And so you're coming here to taste the chef's creations. All of that to say that sometimes there's a specific recipe and it needs to be followed to the T for things to be what they are. And when we change some of those flavors or some of the ingredients or the amounts, you change the entire meal. Baking is one of the most profound examples of that because with baking, it really is about the measurements. And you do a measurement wrong and something will come out cakier or fudgier or drier or more moist. And so you do have to follow it specifically. That can happen in human relationships where it works because we don't live together. It works because you live across the country and we only see each other sometimes. It works because we're friends only and there's no more expectations. You change the ingredients and now you want to live with me or you want to live closer or you want us to date or have sex or be romantic. We don't know what then is created. We don't know what the outcome is. And it's not necessarily going to be delicious as what as delicious as what was working, was tasting. So all that to say... Changing the structure isn't always helpful. And this one is about sleeping in separate beds or not even necessarily cohabitating. Um, I think it's an interesting concept because a lot of issues that some individuals fight about are the small nuance to things that don't exist if you're not necessarily living together. And that can also happen with sleeping in separate beds. Sometimes someone goes to bed later uh, and maybe is woken up by the person that comes into bed later right? The person that goes to bed first. Sometimes someone likes to, uh, someone's maybe highly active in bed, moves around a lot, wakes the other person up, temperature issues, snoring. And some people don't think about the fact that maybe we're not meant to share a bedroom or maybe we're not meant to sleep in the same bed. And a lot of people, they can't consider such an idea or they weren't even aware that that was possible because they're falling in line with what everyone else has done or what they've been told they're supposed to do. And they're like, well, of course we share a bed, not necessarily. So we're going to come back and talk more about that along with a bunch of other things that maybe are a little controversial, punchy, or a little too diverse for us. That might be good for us. Talking about that and then some DMs. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. All right, we are Q back and now it's time to slide into those DMs. All right, Joel, we're back and we're talking about one of my favorite things, creative, diverse ways of living. Basically, we're talking about some... Uh, lesser known, lesser recognized, or lesser supported ways that you can kind of move through the world, but also run your relationships. So some celebrities a couple years back put on the map this idea of together while apart, which means, yeah, babe, we're together. Maybe we're married. Maybe we got kids, but we don't necessarily share a home. What? I know. You get to choose what works for you. We should do what works for us, not what we think we have to do. Some couples are made miserable by cohabitating. You don't have to. There are some people, I'm not going to give them a shout out, but there's a couple people in my industry that have realized that and they don't live with their primary partner. Of course, they spend all the time together they want. They sleep over at each other's places, but there's something psychologically very soothing in the fact that they have their own home and they sometimes go home and spend a day or two alone in their own home. And it also takes off the table a lot of fighting. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you both have very different lifestyles, but yet there's still enough commonality and chemistry where you wanna have a primary relationship of some kind, you don't have to live together. I was also referencing a smaller version of that, which is maybe you live together, but you don't have to share the same bed. What? I know, you can still have sleepovers, but sometimes people want their own bedroom. Not everyone can share a bed. Maybe you go to bed later and you wake your partner up who goes to bed first. Maybe you like to fall asleep reading, watching television. They don't. Maybe you toss and turn and they don't. Maybe you snore and they don't. Okay, we can still live together, have a great life, give kisses, go to bed separately, and crawl in your bed in the morning when I wake up. If that makes your relationship better, do it. Do it. 
there is no valor. There is no mental health. There's no respect for someone saying, yeah, we just, it doesn't work for us, but we're just going to keep on plugging along and doing it anyway because that's what it's supposed to look like. Oh my God, don't do that. So that's a big one. Not everyone should share a bed. Um, I am someone who sleeps very lightly and I absolutely can't share a bed or a room with someone who snores. Period, end of story, can't happen. So if I were ever to be married to someone who snored, you better believe we're going to have to have different bedrooms. I will be awake all night long. My body does not adjust to that. And uh, yeah, sleep's kind of important. And if that's what's necessary, then that's what's necessary. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's sleeping in separate beds. Um, we got to get rid of that stigma. And uh, it doesn't necessarily imply that there's trouble. You know, sometimes it's the sign of the opposite. You might be doing better off than some of those couples that are holding on, you know, for dear life to the fact that they share a bed, which means everything's okay and it's not. A lot of people look to structures for, for trust and for a sign that all is well, and we can't look to structures. What do I mean by that? I mean, let's talk about cheating and trust because this is, you know, a big one for a lot of people, which means you don't learn to trust someone by, um, by saying, you're my boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't learn to trust someone or build trust by saying, now we're married or we're monogamous or I'm gonna go through your phone or I want your passwords. Those are all signs of the fact that I don't trust you and I still don't if I'm needing to rely upon them and I'm needing to utilize them. That does not build trust and that is not a sign of trust. Uh, the first question is, do I trust my partner? And if you do, well then learn how to deal with your anxiety and let go of all that. If you don't, you shouldn't be with that person if they're not worthy of your trust. So the question is, is it them or is it me? And if it's you, do the work. Uh, because no structure, label, or you know, list of passwords is going to make you trust someone if they're not worthy of that and you can't. And so the work is about getting fundamentally to that. Same thing with a marriage or a relationship. If it's not well, it's not gonna be solved by sharing a bed. And um, you wanna do what's necessary. Here's another piece of research, because some of y'all love that research, which ain't shame is research. This one says research shows sleeping in separate beds contributes to better overall sleep, which in turn can lead to better relationship satisfaction. Um, yeah, no kidding, no kidding, right? Because we gotta have energy to deal with regulation, to set boundaries. You know, We need energy to be able to be our better selves, which is why at the end of the day, we tend to be our worst self, which is a bummer, because that's what the time of day we reserve for friends and family members, and they get our worst. But that's a whole different show. Uh, but if you're gonna sleep apart, you wanna have a little bit of a routine so that there is still some ceremonious uh, coming together. And, cause that's a big transition point, right? It's all about transitions. When you exit the house, enter the house, wake up and go to bed. Those are moments where couples should uh, ritualize them with a kiss, a comment, a form of touch, some romance. So you can still do that. Set aside time before you go to bed in one person's bed or on the couch and just cuddle, talk, connect, kiss. And then you can venture off into your separate bedrooms. Because remember, in bed, generally, most people are sleeping. So it doesn't really necessarily mean they have to be there next to you. Although, although, I'm a sex therapist as well, so I prioritize eroticism. For many individuals, that is when sex might occur or emerge. And so you then do want to set aside time for saying, hey, why don't you crawl in bed with me for a little bit? Or hey, I'll join you. Or let's do something before or after we depart to our separate boudoirs. <laughs> um, you still can keep it fun and light and interesting, but yeah, you can't just rely upon rolling over, bumping into someone and getting down and dirty. Um, okay, so here's another interesting one that I thought was kind of dynamic. And for those that are just joining us, we are talking about uh, controversial, edgy, taboo, creative ways that could actually 
benefit your relationship. We're not just trying to do what our parents did. No reason to do that. They definitely didn't do it well themselves. You know, they have the, we have the highest rate of singledom. We have the highest rate of divorce and cheating. So uh, clearly what we've been doing is not working. And anything that has the failure rate that all of that has, we wouldn't keep putting that out on the market. Um, so let's try some alternative things. Because again, we're really just doing what it is we need. We're not trying to fall in line and do it like everyone else is doing it. So we're talking about living together while together. Um, sorry, living apart while together, sharing separate bedrooms. Another topic that comes up a lot of this is um, discussing their romantic past and their exes. I have to be a part of trying to create the kind of world that I want to be in and I think would better serve everyone. And, you know, as a therapist, um, I'm in a position to really talk about that because of the work I do. And one of the things is I wish we were better able to manage our jealousy and our anxiety and that we were living more in reality. And when you enter someone's life, you're entering their life already in motion. Life has been lived. Your partner will have had sex with others. They will have dated others. They shouldn't be made to feel bad about that. The person they had been with historically shouldn't be made to feel bad about that. And you shouldn't you shouldn't be thinking in those terms. Your partner has been with other people, dated them, maybe married them, had sex with them, and you get to decide the relationship you're gonna have with that. And I'm not saying you have to be open hearing all the details, but you can't punish or be mad at your partner for having had a life before you, and you should not be telling them that they have to treat those exes poorly, nor should you if you were to see them or meet them. We'll come back, talk more about this, y'all, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Oh, Rachel, we're back and we're talking about some controversial, punchy, edgy, radical, creative, diverse ways of running your relationships that maybe you haven't thought of or you have, but didn't think was healthy. And I, I love when people do what needs to be done <laughs> and they don't try to do it the way they think they're supposed to do it. But they say, you know, what do I want? What do I need? I'm a big fan of that. Tailor making things. Um, and that's why I'm a big fan of people that are like, yeah, uh, no one's taken anyone's last name when we get married or the husband can take the wives or all sorts of diverse things. Do what needs to be done. We were talking earlier in the show about being together but not cohabitating, maybe sharing, um, not sharing bedrooms or a bed. And for those who want to check it out, you can go back and go to wearechannelq.com. You can check out past episodes of the show. Uh, and while you're doing all that fancy legwork, you can also put some questions or topics you want hit or covered or answered in the DMS on our love line IG page. But, um, I'm all about creativity and diversity, but more importantly, again, I'm all about people choosing what they need. So we're talking about our relationship to, this might get a little clunky, our relationship to our partner's past relationships, understanding that we enter people's lives while they're already in motion and we can't, nor should we make people feel bad for having lived a life before they met us. You know, they can't be like, oh, well, you know, it's possible I might meet some really anxious, fragile dude in a few years who would be uncomfortable acknowledging or knowing that I've had prior boyfriends. So I should just sit home celibate and single until I meet him so that his fragile ego is able to remain intact, said no one ever, nor should they. If you're going to be someone's partner, you accept that they've lived a life and they're going to have exes and they shouldn't feel bad about having had exes. They shouldn't be made to feel bad about having had sex before. And we shouldn't treat those people poorly if we see them out the world. I hear these ridiculous stories of someone being with their partner, they bump into an ex out, out somewhere and they're like mad dogging them and, 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 and starting trouble or saying, we're not going to talk to them. It's like, what are you doing? This is so bizarre. We have to be a little more resilient and robust than that. That's so fragile. And that's a toxic form of monogamy. That's toxic monogamy. It's also emotional abuse. I'm going to use that word again. That's emotionally abusive to shame your partner for something they've done before they met you. Not okay. 
And some people are like, who does that? A lot of people, believe it or not. A lot of people are very threatened by their per their partner's past or talking about the past. Um, I don't think this should be the case. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn. If you let jealousy and anxiety and insecurity prevent you from participating fully in your partner's life and learning about them by hearing about their relational uh, past, you miss an opportunity to learn more about them and how to be a good partner for them. I want people to discuss what the struggles were in prior relationships so that the new partner can be aware of what their soft spots are. Soft spots are. Remember, if you're in a primary relationship, you need to know what are my partner's wounds and soft spots. I'm not responsible for them, but dear God in heaven, I want to try to protect them. I want to not walk them into it. I want to not weaponize them. So I want to understand what they need from me. Talking about what we've been through helps us understand how we can help them heal. Our relational paths are a vital piece of learning about us, who we are, why we are the way we are, who we want to be. Um, it helps you understand, again, who they are today. So don't don't support that. If your partner tries to start shaming you for that, stop them. Say, I'm going to stop you. It sounds like you're trying to make me feel bad for the life I've lived, and, and I won't accept that, and I reject that. And I'm going to expect you and ask you to work on having some confidence around the fact that these people are still on the planet, and you might see them. Um, depending on where you live, you might really see them. Restaurants, especially if you all go to the same place as the gym. And that's why I would keep saying, like, people should be friends with their exes. We should be ending things when it needs to end and doing it in a loving way so they don't have to be harsh feelings. Like, that's a sign of maturity. I said this before. I'll say it again. If all of your exes, let me say it differently. If all of your relationships have ended where one of you or both of you are treating each other horribly and you couldn't even stand the sight of each other, you're doing relationships wrong. We shouldn't be mad or angry when relationships end, and we should leave them lovingly. And then when we see that ex in the world, we should be able to go check in on them and talk to them. And our current partners should support that and understand that. Otherwise, they're toxic for us. Otherwise, we have not built a relationship around trust and care. That's mandatory. That's a, such a primary expectation. We have a lot of work to do around these insecurities and these jealousies, truly. We have to accept that our partners will find other people attractive in the world. We have to understand that our partners have lived a life before they met us. We have to understand that our partners' needs matter as much as ours. We're not good relationally. We don't need to learn how to be single. We need to learn how to be more relational. <laughs> Singledom's easy. You're not getting triggered. Stuff's not getting brought up. Being in a relationship's really hard. It shows you where your work is. We have to become better. When we're in a relationship, that person's in our care. We have to take that seriously. We don't. We have to stop looking out for me and I, what I want, and think in terms of we and us. We're in this together. When you're in a primary relationship with someone, you're a system. You impact each other powerfully. You regulate each other's nervous systems, blood pressure, heart rate, breathing. Yes, robust research is out there. Y'all do, do it on your own, but it's there. And we don't really take that into account. So if you're making someone's life worse off because you've been brought into it by making them accountable to things they shouldn't be and feeling very bad about um, making you uncomfortable, you're doing it wrong. Okay, I just want to kind of throw that out there. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to do some DMs, and then we'll get back to uh, some of these interesting punchy topics. Um, the ones that are coming down the road, I think, are a little punchier. <laughs> we always save them for the second hour. So stick around. More to come. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back talking about some edgy, controversial, punchy, taboo ways of moving through our relationship and our lives. Uh, talk about being together but not living together. Talk about sharing, uh, not sharing beds or a bedroom. Talking about being chill and cool when someone's like, yo, that's my ex. Oh, tell me more about them. How'd you meet? What'd you learn? Who do you want to be again? Who do you not want to be again? Introduce me. 
That's the world I want to live in. Why are we threatened by someone's exes? Why? Is your partner not worthy of trust? Get out. If they are, learn to trust them and let go and don't be driven by your anxiety. We've done tons of shows on that. You can check them out by going over to wearechannelq.com. All of them are labeled. Go listen, please. <laughs> um, okay, so here's another taboo. This one, some people are going to roll their eyes because when I talk about this in my sessions with my patients, you know, sometimes I'm trying to push their level of maturity. You know, therapy should be developmental. We should be growing and learning, expanding. It's not about just listening. Some people think therapy is just ventilation. I'm just going to vomit all over my therapist, and then that's that's the work. That's the transformation. Dear God in heaven, no, that's actually not transformative. Yes, it's important to have someone bear witness to what you're going through. There are neural connections that are involved in that. There's a lot of healing. Yes, yes, yes. Not, I'm not putting that down. Supportive therapy is important. However, good therapy is developmental where you're challenging yourself. You're learning, you're growing, you're transformed. You are thinking about your thinking. You are taking control of your thinking. You're taking control of your emotions. You're taking control of your behavior. So you're feeling differently. You're thinking differently. You're acting differently. That is the work. So I'll say things to clients like, your partner has eyeballs. They're going to be oriented towards other attractive things in the world. What? I know. We can't be threatened by everything in the world. Um, I'm not saying that we should let our partner be inappropriate or, or do something inappropriate in front of us or around us. But again, we have to move away from these toxic forms of monogamy and relationality where we want ownership and we want to be the only thing our partner acknowledges or desires. It doesn't work like that. Our partners are going to have sex with themselves. Our partners are going to look at pornography. Our partners have had sex before we entered the picture. These are things we have to work on understanding and being okay with which takes us to the next point. Masturbation, I love this one. Um, not only because I think masturbation's awesome and it's important for our bodies. In fact, there are lower rates of cancers based on the amount of times you ejaculate and orgasm. So that is healthy for you. I do not support taking the month off of November. Some people call it no nut November and they say, we're not gonna masturbate. We're gonna be all about retention. The research shows the opposite, that it's actually better for you to be masturbating. And in fact, masturbation is how we feel autonomous. It helps us understand. It's the most porn and, and masturbation is the most feminist thing on the planet because it helps women understand that my sexuality is not under the ownership of a man. A man does not own my sexuality. A man does not own my pleasure. I can have sex and I can have pleasure without the need of a man or a partner or even a female partner. That's why it's feminist. It is autonomous. There is no hierarchy. There is no patriarchy. You are an autonomous being and then you choose sex with others and partnership. Also, like I said, masturbation and ejaculation is good for your body. It is good for you psychologically. It is a form of self-soothing. If you have a hard day, eat some ice cream, read a book, nap, or masturbate, have sex. Those are healthy forms of coping. It is good to use sex as self-care. But masturbation is under your control and your control only. A partner only gets to weigh in on partnered sexuality if you're in a monogamous relationship. The deal you make in monogamy is I won't have sex with other partners. People make their own definitions. Y'all get to decide on your own, but no one gets to tell you what you do solo. Just like I say all the time, when you're by yourself, no one gets to tell you what kind of music you're listening to as a grown ass adult. Just like when you're by yourself, no one gets to tell you what kind of food you're eating, what television shows you're watching, or what games you're playing. You also don't, also you don't get to tell a partner when they're by themselves what they're doing with themselves sexually. You have a right to say to your partner if they're weighing in on your masturbation or porn use, I'm gonna back you off and stop you. That is for me. I, as an adult, whether married or not, get to have privacy, I get to have boundaries, and that is about me and myself. It's solo sexuality. If your partner wants to talk about the sex they're having or not having with you as a couple, awesome. But what I do with myself 
is up to me. And if your partner's healthy and mature enough, you can share with them what you're looking at in terms of porn. You can share with them maybe what your masturbation habits are. But sometimes you're not with a healthy partner and it isn't safe to do that. And then you should say, let's work on being healthy enough to discuss those things. I don't jump right into that with couples. I establish safety first. You have to have a safe, high-functioning, healthy emotional relationship before I ever support or recommend talking to your partner about what goes on in your head and what goes on on, on the porn you like or in your masturbation habits. We work on getting there. But that's all your business. <clears throat> and we sometimes think that we get to control that. And we get to shame our partner for looking at porn and masturbating. No, you don't. That's none of your business. Just like you don't get to decide what music they're listening to when they're by themselves or what TV shows they're watching or what books they're reading or what games they're playing. You don't get to decide that for them. Even in a marriage, you are still an autonomous adult. And this is one of the ways we assert that. Porn is healthy. So is masturbation. It is feminist as hell. And it's an important part of our mental health. And so I advocate for that. Um, it, it just because you're masturbating well in a partnership doesn't mean you don't enjoy with sex with your partner. It doesn't mean you don't love them. That doesn't mean there's something wrong. A lot of people masturbation again is about time with themselves or it's self soothing or it's a form of coping or it's just a form of joy, fun and pleasure, or it's a way that they participate in sex. That isn't the kind of sex they have with their partner. I'm so thankful that that outlet exists. And in fact, it saves a lot of marriages and relationships because it gives people a healthy outlet for some creative, diverse sex for some sexual difference. All right. We're going to come back, talk more about this y'all. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris channel Q and Odyssey stick around y'all because we'll be right back. All right, y'all, we're back. Talking about some edgy, controversial, taboo things that are good for you and your relationship. We're all over the place. We're talking about a whole bunch of stuff, maybe not living together, maybe sharing, not sharing a bedroom. Also having a sex life all to your own, masturbation and porn. Um, that's a big one. Uh, Here's another zinger, and I think I've told this story on the on the show before. Um, you don't have to do everything together, and that was, you know, really big. Where I had this idea that once you're in a relationship with someone romantically or married, <clears throat> that everything's done together, and if not, something's wrong. But sometimes we're with people that don't enjoy everything we enjoy. You know, maybe you like camping, your partner doesn't, and you're like, all right, well, I'll go on my own, or I'll go with a friend. Or maybe you're into sports and your partner isn't or, or a certain type of music and you're like, cool, I'll go alone or I'll go with someone else. Awesome. Be in healthy relationships where your partners support you in doing things that make you feel good and make you happy. And they're like, great, babe, have fun. I'll see you when you get back. That's what we're looking for. I think I told this on the air, but um, when I was a kid, I, I, this was like, it was kind of shocking. That's why it stuck with me. We were in Europe on a family vacation and one of the families that we were spending time with uh, they were talking about what their plans were for the next couple of days. And the husband was saying how tomorrow was his day to himself. And I was like, Oh, that's so fascinating. We were in, I think we we're in Italy. Um, and he was going to be taken the next day to himself. And I was like, wow, what a, what a beautiful reminder that, um, it's okay to have some solo time out in the world to symbolically just be this autonomous being where you're on your own, having your own experience. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to advocate for the ability to do that. I want us to be in healthy enough relationships where no one's made to feel bad or insecure around that and that we support ideas like that. I want people to take some vacations on their own. I always tell people it's important that all of our identities are engaged. 
Um, let's say you're married with kids, uh, have family time where the whole family's together, have just couples time where it's just the two or three of you, depending on how many people are in your primary partnership, have um, friend time where it's just you and friends and your partner's not there, have solo time where it's you alone, have time alone with your family members. You get to have all of that. Just because you're married or in a relationship doesn't mean that partner has to be there when you're with your friends, when you're with your family. It is okay to do things more autonomously. That isn't a sign of something being bad or wrong. In fact, it's often a sign of things going well because we have a solid foundation and we're not threatened by that. And we support each other's own individual journeys while also having a shared partnered journey. That's okay. You don't have to know all your friends, all your partner's friends. In fact, that's how I run my relationships. I tend to do things with my partner, but then when I'm with my friends, I want to be alone with them so I can have deep, intimate conversations and experiences together. I don't tend to bring everyone together. My friends don't all even know each other. I spend different amounts of time with different people because I like deep, intimate connections. So I tend to do things one-on-one. Um, I'm with this friend on Tuesday. I'm maybe on, with that friend on Thursday, with my partner on Friday. That is how I feel best. And so I want to offer that to people as well. It's okay to ask for, hey, honey, I'm going to go spend the day alone tomorrow. Or I wanted to take a camping trip solo this weekend or I wanted to go just see my mom for lunch alone or whatever it is. Let's make that a norm. In fact, it's important for us to have experiences of our own to come back and sometimes share. There can be a flatness when we're doing everything together. Just like I say, couples need to go have new novel experiences together that are outside their patterns and habits and normal structures so they can witness different elements of each other. And there's something very bonding and new experiences. We also wanna do that on our own and be able to come back and share that. And right now with a lot of people working from home, some of us are never given time away and we start to lose our individual selves. And then we sometimes dramatize it thinking we need to move out or get divorced or get separated. And it's like, no, we don't necessarily always need to go that far. You just need to symbolically have that in place by spending some time alone on your own. It doesn't need to be that dramatic. Um, another big one is, and I always cha- uh, channel the, uh, challenge this as well, is when they say, never go to bed angry. No, go to bed angry because I'd rather you go to bed angry and sleep on it, which means regulate while sleeping and wake up feeling maybe more grounded than staying up late when we're tired and angry. And when we're hyper emotional, we are not in our executive functioning. So we are not thinking clearly. And sometimes people will battle it out with no resolve, having said or done things that they can't take back. I'd rather you go to bed, wake up refreshed, and then try to tackle it from a different perspective. And from a time when you have a little bit more energy, energy is a big one. When you're tired, you shouldn't be stepping into any meaningful decision-making or any high conflict or difficult relationships or experiences because you're tired. At the end of the day is the worst time to try to have these conversations. We are depleted. Our energy is gone by the end of the day. That shouldn't be when we have difficult conversations when we're tired. Advocate for that, honey. We can't keep having these very high conflict, important conversations at 10 o'clock at night after we've both had a long day. We are not at our best. It is harder to regulate ourselves and to stay loving and calm and in our executive functioning when we are tired. We should actually have these in the morning or on the weekend. Most of these issues don't need to be resolved right now. We need to be able to shelve them and come back to them because what needs to mean more is our relationship not this issue and just hammering it out to get it hammered out. We have to learn how to shelve things because we're on vacation because now is not the time. We have to learn how to wait until we are face-to-face. We do not have important high-conflict conversations over the phone or text unless you literally have to. 
And we do it when we are calm and grounded. We don't have conversations when we are dysregulated and upset. We go self-regulate or we co-regulate each other. And when we're at a zero, then we start. So again, the rules are we never have conversations unless we're starting at a zero. We do not have conversations when we are exhausted and tired at the end of the day. And we don't have conversations when we can't be together face to face. That's called psych uh, psychological flexibility and adaptability. We don't have to hammer it out now because we're upset about something. We learn how to wait. We come back to it. That's important. So if, go to bed angry sometimes saying, honey, we'll feel better and be better able to talk about this tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a big one. That's a big one because everyone always says the opposite. Um, is there anything else I want to say that, um, yeah, research, there's no evidence that breaking this is harmful to relationship can, and um, it can be argued that ignoring it can be beneficial. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of the research. Um, going to bed angry gives you time to process feelings, maybe get some more sleep, come back with a fresh perspective. Yeah, see, it's all there. Um, all right, we're gonna come back, we'll finish up this, and then we're gonna do some DMs. So if you got a question for us, topic you want us to hit, something you want us to circle back or drop deep into, put it in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Otherwise, y'all stick around, don't go anywhere. We'll be back listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, Rachel, we're back. We're just finishing up our discussion of new novel, taboo, and interesting controversial ways of moving through the world. 
Because just because everyone else is doing it a certain way doesn't mean that's the right way or the right way for us. And we get hung up on that. We think that we have to go through this certain path that in order to be an adult or really have a loving, loyal relationship that we need to get married and have kids and live together and share a bedroom and never be apart. And none of these things are true. That's just the what's been normalized. And we're allowed to step outside of that. And we're talking about all of the different ways we can do that. Um, another big one, drum roll, one of the bigger ones, one of the bigger ones that causes a lot of issues is talking openly and honestly about money. Oh yeah. Gotta have important ones. Um, you want to have honest ones. Uh, we have to be able to talk about money and there's so much woven into that. Our self-worth we've been taught is tied into how much money we have or make, uh, our possibility, you know, possibility of being someone's partner. Um, especially if you're uh, male identified. Um, there's also classism in there where we're not supposed to share what we make or our income bracket with other people. And people are like very cautious about discussing salary. It's so strange, uh, especially when there's a lot of signifiers that kind of speak to someone's class um, based on what they own or don't own and access to certain privileges and, and, and rights and whatnot. But nonetheless, stepping outside of that conversation because that's murky. Um, you want to be able to talk to your partner about these things. I work with some individuals where this is what's led to fights down the road where they haven't. And not only is discussing finances a way to be vulnerable and build intimacy, it's also a way to practice having difficult conversations that need to be able to be had. Um, and also because there's something deeper under it. It's often not just about money. It's about our sense of self, our definition of success, what it means to be a, a mom or a dad and all sorts of things. And so we get to learn about each other. And money is woven into most, most parts of our lives. And so we wanna be able to talk about debt and, and, and taxes and paying them and income levels, um, especially if in a relationship. And, and some people are like, I don't really relate to this topic, but that's because not everyone sits in the deeper meaning that's behind things and money has so much tied into it. So it's never just about like, oh, how much money do you make? It's also talking about what's your relationship to money? What are your spending habits like? Um, talking about budgeting, talking about shared visions around finances and how spending should happen. A lot of people start doing things behind each other's back so they never really sit down and talk it out and there's a lot of anxiety around that. We're raised with a lot of, um, we're raised with a lack of knowledge around finances. So a lot of people don't necessarily understand um, <laughs> what healthy finances even look like, uh, what a budget is, <laughs> all those kinds of things, which thankfully now all that research is out there, you can do it, but um, couples need to be able to talk about that. Um, let's let's kind of close out on this final one. This one can be really big. I I remember this actually coming up in a group I was running many years ago at a treatment center. And it really shook some people. Ready for this one? We talked about a little bit on the show. When in a long-term relationship, even after married, after a long period of time, um, you're allowed to have boundaries and privacy. People just think that we're not allowed to have that. They're not allowed to keep things from people. Um, you are. You are. And that's shocking. And it's very controversial. Um, but, you know, we're, we're allowed to have some things that are just for us. Now, I'm not saying if we have anxiety around something we wanna withhold, because I think that there's a lot that can be learned and sharing about our lives and our histories, but um, especially in the beginning, not everyone wants to disclose former mental health issues or even current ones, or for, for uh, former problematic relationships with drugs and alcohol or legal system issues. Um, you're allowed to have someone 
earn the right to that. And sadly, sometimes in a marriage, even someone isn't ever safe enough or mature enough to earn the right to hear about some of that. Now, of course, there's an impact on having withheld that. I am not denying that, that to later have that found out or disclosed can be very destabilizing for a partner. So we're not trying to mislead, but I'm just acknowledging the idea. And again, it's going to be case by case and topic by topic. So it really depends on what we're talking about. So there's a lot of nuance in this. I'm just kind of hitting the overarching idea that you're allowed to have boundaries of privacy. I even say that to clients in therapy. I'm like, look, ideally it would help to have a space where you can share every part of you. And if we're not sharing something, there might be guilt and shame around it. And therapy is a place to work through that. However, you're allowed to have boundaries and privacy with me about certain things. You're allowed to apply that to anyone. Um, but I want to understand why, and I want you to ask yourself that, like, what part of me is wanting to withhold this? Is that a part of me that should be honored? Is this something that's important that my partner does know about? And if so, please work on creating a healthy, mature enough relationship where that kind of information can be disclosed, which by the way, be the kind of partner that can have information that's hard to hear brought to you. Cause if you don't handle things well, then you're not safe enough for people to tell you things. And so it is kind of your fault. So let's go back to assuming we're all healthy and we're all mature and we can handle things. Ask yourself, what part of me wants to withhold this? And is this something that'd be important for my partner to know? And often the case might be yes. Shame is maintained by staying silent. And shame just works through, through exposure. Um, but just that idea that you are, to, you are allowed to have boundaries and privacy, even children are. Everyone is. That's a human right. That's, that's, that's how we have autonomy. That's how we actually have this sense of personal boundaries. And again, people have to earn the right to information. People have to gain trust before they're given certain information. And that can sometimes take years. And then there it is. Um, all right, y'all, that is our show. If you got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Otherwise, past episodes are over at wearechannelq.com. Thanks for hanging out with me, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your night. See y'all soon. Have a good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 